All right. Let's uh, call the meeting back to order. And just a quick announcement for all, all those of you that were here earlier. We are being video recorded along with the uh, audio recording that's taking place. Uh, just uh, for your information, we're back on item 6, return to public se- session, 6.1, announcement of closed session items. There are no items to announce. 6.2, Pledge of Allegiance. Amy, would you lead us? Okay, 6.3, adoption of the agenda. Is there any... I'd like to suggest that we move the facilities master plan to um, just after the minutes towards the beginning of the meeting because we have several items that are related to facilities, uh, the housing, um, something about the VWT building, and I'd like them to be in the context of the adopted facilities master plan. Does that uh, end up taking it out of kind of context, though, with the um, housing presentation or anything like that? Because I... Dr. Crafton. I'm thinking, I'm not sure that... Um, are you are you prepared to do that earlier? Do you know what time Matt might be here or no? Okay. So it's up, it's um, the chair's call. I don't see any any objection to that. Um, so, where did we want to move that, Amy? You were suggesting after the just minutes? after the minutes. The minutes, which so, is yeah. so after item ten point one. Let's check it real fast, Chair. So, be- so it, before information, right? You're wanting to move yes. one one action item. Uh, yeah, before, before information, yeah. and then move to information? Exactly. I don't know how that's accomplished, Carolee, on the, yeah? Yeah, I can uh, reorder it. It will remain an action item. It yeah. will just need um, some massaging in the minutes for okay. the correct header. Okay, then let's go ahead and, and do that. And with that change, is there any objection to the adoption of the agenda? There being none, and the agenda is adopted. Item 6.4, trustee recognition. Past President Michael Baldini. Craft, do we have a resolution? We do, and we have uh, the very cool thing that's in my office. <laughs> <laughs> we could save this till the end. No, this would just take a minute, Michael. I will present the resolution as Dr. Kraft is returning with the other portion of this. So this is the Napa Valley College District resolution in honor of Michael Baldini, 
as board president, whereas Michael Baldini served as president of the Board of Trustees from December 2011 to June 2013 to oversee the completion of the CEO selection committee during transition, a departing college president and interim president, greatly helping the college and an acting president for 10 months who was ultimately selected to be the college president, and whereas Mr. Baldini also served as president of the Board of Trustees in 2016 and has many times provided leadership and insight to committees and appointments of the board, and whereas his acute sensitivity to what is proper and appropriate in dealing with others served the college and board of trustees in a most beneficial manner, and whereas his considerate, polite, professional, and gentle demeanor fostered inclusivity for all college constituent groups and Napa Valley community members, and whereas Michael never failed to appreciate the work and concerns of others, always identified points of pride, and inspired others around him to reach for the loftiest goals. And whereas Michael's use of humor brought a smile to all and his use of visual lessons, such as presenting shovels to students and faculty to encourage digging into life's opportunities, and actual demonstration that trustees would stand on their heads for the college, and making the grandest entry in college history by riding a bicycle backwards across the theater stage, inspired trust and encouraged collegiality, and which he will demonstrate after this. (laughs) And whereas he is a close member of the campus family, not the least through his participation as a Puente mentor, a volunteer at the campus winery, and as an associate in science degree in viticulture with Dean's Honors, graduate in 2013, and whereas his modesty regarding his success and contributions to the college is legendary. Now, therefore, be it resolved that the Board of Trustees, on behalf of the college and the community, thank Michael Baldini and his unprecedented 18 months of service and look forward to his continued steadfast service and contributions. Thank you, Michael. Before you, Michael, before you say anything, if you could come up, there's one more little thing that um, we have for you. We we all know how much you you love the gavel. So, unfortunately, somebody didn't follow my uh, my instructions. I asked them to get one that could not be removed from a plaque. I was afraid you might try to use it, but here you go. Congratulations. Thanks Thank very you. much, Rob. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I know that Raphael is hesitant to, to give me the, the gavel. I do have it now because <laughs> I tend to go on and on and on. But I just, what I've done is, is only a small part of what goes on seen and unseen at this campus. And, it, and it's with what you do that, that make this job so easy. There's no... I and trustee, and it's and, and, and it's all of us together, and it's all of you that that make it possible to to give us that satisfaction when that that student walks across to receive the certificate or or degree, and and go on to to leverage the knowledge and the the opportunity 
to give them a place to stand so they can move the world. Thank you very much. This is. I'll sit down. Thank you, Michael. <laughs> To item seven, public comment, 7.1. This is the, uh, at this time, the board will devote a total of up to 15 minutes for comments to the board of trustees regarding any subject not appearing on the agenda for this meeting, but over which the board has jurisdiction. The public may ask the board to place an item related to the business of the district on a future agenda. No action or discussion will occur. At this time on such items, individuals will be limited to a five-minute presentation. And we will start with the speaker cards that I have, and then we'll poll the the audience to see if there are any others. The first uh, speaker, Chris Malon. Hello. My name is Chris Malin. I live in Napa County at 2945 Atlas Peak Road, and I've been an avid uh, activist for the water resources in Napa County uh, for over 20 years. Uh, in 2014, the Board of Supervisors uh, declared in a proclamation that May is Watershed uh, Awareness Month, and uh, then they hold a big symposium, and many water stakeholders come to this to learn about the Napa River and Puda Creek and Cache Creek and... Um, as uh, major watersheds in Napa County. And this is important because the Napa River is listed with the United States Environmental Protection Agency as a impaired water body due to sediment, um, nutrients or fertilizers, and uh, pathogens, and soon to be listed for flow impairment and temperature uh uh, warm temperatures. So Napa County has been designated by big environmental agencies as a biological hotspot, and uh, we lose a lot of species over the many years. We still have salmon coming up in uh, Chinook and uh, steelhead uh, do find places to spawn in the higher parts of our watershed. Um, the college owns uh, property, of course, and Tulokay Creek uh, is not far from here, and there are still some uh, wetlands delineated by the Army Corps of Engineer, uh, not far from where this little tributary on your property um, comes into. Uh, so over the years, I've watched uh, you develop the property, and I don't see any restoration efforts going on the little tributary here on the college property, and I think that I came here to bring this to your attention. There's restoration going on all over the county, and people are learning about what's in their backyard and how they can treat the streams better and do restoration uh, if if they can. And I think the college uh, has an opportunity here to show the community that you care about the environment and that you care about um, what's on your property and what you can do to improve water quality. So I invite you to come to the Watershed Symposium on May 24th, uh, 2017. It's a huge, wonderful event if you want to learn more about the precious water resources in Napa County that are under great pressure from industry and municipalities, uh, and learn what the college can do to help the health of our community by 
helping the streams and the river. So, thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else in the audience who would like to speak? I'm Bruce Ketron, trustee emeritus, who was on this board from 2002 to 2014, during which time we spent an enormous amount of resources in terms of dealing with the creek that comes through the property. When we put in the tennis courts, there was an enormous amount of planning to do that in the pond that we have out there and for the protection of that, and there was a number of steps taken. I would invite all to look at what was done because that was part of the measure and bond that was passed in 2002. Thank you. Anyone else? There being no one else approaching the podium, we we're going to move on to the next item, which we are number constituent group reports the Academic Senate. Amanda Badgett. Thank you. Good evening, board. Um, first, I would like to thank all of you for um, the approval of sabbaticals for three of our colleagues uh, to be in place next year. Uh, Lisa Yanover, either for a semester or for two. Lisa Yanover, my colleague in English. Janet Stickman, colleague in Humanities. And Angie Moore, colleague in Counseling. So thank you very much. I uh, look forward to hearing uh, about the work that they endeavor to do when they are away from the classroom. And I thank you for supporting faculty in exploring and um, these topics that are clearly, and in some cases certificates, that are clearly dear to their hearts. It makes them even more uh, strong and relevant faculty, and it just improves the instruction for our students and the, the the, shall we say, the morale of faculty. It's a busy time. It's as if we didn't need to be reminded with today, spring is clearly upon us. Um, faculty have been working with their deans and division chairs on schedules for summer and for fall already. And we are also in the throes of our annual planning process. And, uh, and if, uh, and I would like to actually uh, thank Rosara for joining us last Friday at the PEP Forum, where we got to hear uh, some really good work that our colleagues are doing in their various programs, as well as President's Office was uh, representing. And, um, and finally, on top of the usual spring, uh, shall we say, pressures, <laughs> um, we've had uh, a number of hiring committees going on uh, currently, and uh, working hard to meet very firm deadlines so that we can produce for you shortly names, I hope, of future faculty members here at the college. So despite all of this, um, I am grateful to my colleagues for their willingness to step up, even as there are so many demands on their time. Uh, on top of their classroom responsibilities. And um, because despite best efforts, there are always emerging issues that come along. And so I just want to take this opportunity to thank them, many of my um, colleagues in the Senate, for stepping up to 
look at policies that have been in place that need some revision to actually craft some language for um, part-time rehire rights, as well as um, ongoing examination of some of the ways we've been doing things in our Senate committees that might need uh, fresh eyes and a little bit of revision, or more than a little bit. So I just want to um, thank my colleagues publicly. Thanks. Thank you. Administrative Confidential Senate Report. I don't see Ken Arnold. No, not tonight. Thank you. Skip that. Associate Students. I don't see Gabriel Sanchez either. Uh, 8.4 Classified Association Report. Jan Sharp. Also mm -hmm. absent. Mm -hmm. 8.5 Classified Senate Report. Tuila Huerta. Tuila had a, a family issue she had to deal with. Thank you. 8.6, Faculty Association, Christy Iwamoto. Good evening, everybody. Uh, I did want to announce that we will be having a part-time spring social on March 30th. Uh, our part-time faculty here, we have uh, nearly 120 part-time faculty here. Uh, part-time faculty is defined by someone who uh, can teach up to 67% of the full-time teaching load. Our part-time faculties, some of them have been here for over 25 years. So we are uh, uh, showing our appreciation to them. We're going to be having a social on March 30th in the community room here on campus from 5.30 to 8. Uh, there the part-timers will be providing dinner for them. We'll have some raffle prizes. And uh, we're going to be providing assessment training. And they'll be paid for uh, two hours of assessment training. And thank you very much to our VPI for that. And so uh, board members are welcome. You are invited if you would like to come. Uh, that will be March 30th. You can uh, email me if you want to get more information, or I will uh, make sure that information gets disseminated to you. Thank you. Thank you. Item 9, Superintendent President Report. Ron? Thank you. Um, we've I've truncated this a bit tonight because we have a, a lot on the agenda. So um, there is... Um, no um, official Napa um, Valley College Foundation report. We're moving to an information item in, in a while, so they've, they've allowed that. So I'd like to move to the President's Cabinet and um, start with Eric, if that's okay. Certainly. Good evening, Board. Um, so a few things for you here tonight, and keep this short, because I know we have a long agenda tonight. So um, start off, um, so instruction's been very busy. Amanda covered some of the things that instruction has been up to. Um, we're in the process of putting together our summer and fall schedules. We are in the thick of hiring right now in the hiring process for uh, tenure-track faculty, but also for other positions in instruction as well. Um, we've been doing a lot of uh, going out a lot over the last month. Uh, my new dean of instruction, Maria Villagomez, uh, new Dean of Career Technical Education, Diana Shibodi, and others in the instructional area have, have been actively out um, uh, discussing uh, potential partnerships with uh, other educational entities locally. We've uh, had meetings with American Canyon High School. We've met with um, uh, St. Helena High School. And, in fact, I have a phone call with uh, the superintendent up there tomorrow. And we're going to be going out to Vintage, to Napa, and to other area high schools to talk about uh, course offerings on their campuses next year and also really trying to establish those relationships as we are hopefully in the in the coming year moving towards um, an expanded uh, dual enrollment program between our district and 
the local Napa Valley Unified School District. So we've been very busy on that front, getting out and getting our people out in front of everybody and networking with our educational partners here in the Valley. Um, a couple of other things. Um, also, another another uh, meeting that we did this week. So on Monday, uh, Bob Parker, Oscar DeHiro, and myself went to Sonoma State University and met with the new uh, president of uh, Sonoma State University and with her cabinet and discussed our relationship. And Sonoma State University is one of the primary transfer institu- institutions for uh, students here from Napa Valley College. And so we talked just uh, at kind of a high level about uh, potential expansion of partnerships, about talking about uh, developing better communication between our schools. And on April 20th, I do believe is the date, there's going to be an investiture ceremony for the new president over at Sonoma State University, and we're hoping to send a small delegation here from our college uh, to be uh, there for that event. So uh, we've been doing a lot of work with that sort of outreach over the over the past month. Um, a couple of quick, uh, one uh, little success story I wanted to share with everybody. So Dr. Stephen Fall, who is a professor in the chemistry department, who's been here at Napa Valley College for a long time, also currently serving as our division chair, uh, published a textbook in chemistry just recently. So he very proudly and very shyly at the same time, for those of you who know Dr. Fall, know how he can be both proud and shy in, in the same moment, um, handed it to me uh, about a month ago and uh, was very excited about it because not only did he write the content, he actually did all of the graphics and artwork in it as well. And as a former studio arts professor, he was very, very, very proud to show that particular part of the work with me. So I wanted to congratulate him publicly on the publication of that textbook. Um, um, otherwise, uh, we're moving forward with some of the last little bits of the um, uh, realignment of our academic divisions in the instructional area. And beginning tomorrow, we are starting our interview process for our dean for science, so for, pardon me, uh, sesame, uh, science, social sciences, science, math, and engineering. Uh, we have a cute little sesame uh, title for that area now. So um, we're starting the actual interview process for that tomorrow, and I'm hoping that at the next board meeting in April, depending on the results of the of the interview process, that we'll have a name for you next month for the new dean that will be joining our instructional team uh, to uh, work in that area. And with that, I will move along. Thank you. Oscar? Thank you. Um, I believe you, you have a copy of uh, a report that, that I submitted for, for, for review. Uh, if you have any questions, please ask. But there's one item that I do want to sort of put a bit of emphasis on. Uh, in the last few, few months, we've been working very closely with, with our colleagues in, in instruction. And one of the examples is that uh, uh, last, uh, last month, uh, on 28th, uh, uh, Michelle Mano, uh, Maravilla Gomez, and I, we attended a meeting at the pilot school, which is at the airport. And the idea for, the, for this meeting was was to uh, to learn how we can assist them because they had come to us about a year ago asking if we could provide some sort of uh, ESL instruction to them, and so we we are, we have now finally made that made that leap made that jump, and uh, with the assistance of of, of, of Michelle Mano and uh, and Maria Via Gomez, it looks like we'll be doing something some some pilot uh, courses for them. Uh, that's that's not a pun, uh, but. Um, uh, but the idea here is, is for us to use this as a venue to offer our courses and or to, to assist them in taking other courses through the Napa Valley College. Um, a couple of items that, that I didn't include on here because I just uh, learned of them. One is that we're also doing more and more presence. We have more and more presence in Solano County Schools. We've been asked by Jesse Bethel to, uh, to attend their, their family night on March 21st, which is a resource fair, which will be there to, to offer uh, 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 offer our, our information on our college, on our courses, on our services. 
And then also on the 23rd, we were invited to attend a, uh, <clears throat> a college fair at John Finney. Uh, both these schools are in Sonoma County. And again, uh, because 35% of our students currently come from, from that area, we are very much encouraged to, to, to continue uh, having a presence there by their invitation. Because it's not our service area, but when, when we're invited, we are there. And lastly, I just wanted to share that uh, on, um, let's see, it's going to be on March the 14th, which is next week, we're going to have another group of kids from Redwood Middle School. They were here about three weeks ago. Some of you may, may have participated. Uh, there's 130 kids then, and now it's, it's a new batch of 150 kids. And the idea here is, again, is to plant that and that seed of education. Uh, and it's a project that, that we believe is going to bring us a great, great amount of, uh, of, of goodness, not only sharing what's offered at the college, but also future students here. And uh, along with that, we have a uh, visit by Howe How Mountain Summary uh, School and St. Patrick, again, which is a, a high school in uh, Solano County. So, and very lastly, those of you who have not yet uh, provided your RSVP to attend the high school breakfast on April the, the, the 6th, please let, let, let us know or let me know um, if you're planning on, on attending. Okay, so it's high school breakfast, and there's a snapshot of what the activities will be for that day as well. What's, this, what's the start time of that, Oscar? 7.30 in the morning with, with breakfast. Thank you. Oscar? Yes. I have a quick question about something on your list here. The Japanese high school students that <clears throat> toured, there are 20 students. Are those likely students, or where are those? Yes, actually, who are those 20 well, actually, people? Actually, there's, there's, there's correction to that, because this, this was a visit that was arranged by the pilot school, by, by the folks that are uh, there, because they were, they were going to have a group of individuals visiting them, and so they want to make certain that those individuals have the opportunity to meet staff at the college here and also see the, uh, the, the campus. What ended up being it was, it was two officials from a very elite uh, high school in Japan who, who are looking for, for venues to send their, their, their students. And Abilene College is one of the venues that they like to, uh, that, you know, that they only consider, along with the pilot school and along with, with other schools like UC Davis. So it wasn't the students that, that ended up coming. It was two officials from, from, that, from that high school. One was an English professor, uh, but we gave them a red carpet a treatment. They went very, very happy, and uh, they're, they're expected to send in some of their students as well. Good. Thank you, Oscar. Um, you have anything, Bob? Just one item, that is that, uh, as Amanda mentioned, we are in the middle of the uh, planning and resource allocation process, and we passed our first milestone last week in that unit plans were due to area councils. And now for the month of March, area councils will be reviewing those unit plans in preparation for submitting their final proposals to uh, President's Cabinet in April. Thank you. And... Cheryl, Executive Director of HR. Good evening. Over the past couple of weeks, we invited all employees in Napa Valley College to participate in the Employee Satisfaction Survey. The survey is closed as of March 3rd, and we intend on sharing the results of that survey by April the 3rd with the entire Napa Valley College community. Um, additionally, um, Office of Human Resources have been busy in um, beginning the process of looking at um, benefit options for our three constituent groups, the administrative confidential group, classified, as well as faculty. And as my colleagues have shared with you, we are recruiting, recruiting, and stay with my deadlines. We're recruiting. Thank you.
Thank you. Um, there's a public information officer report. Doug, I, I think that you may want to speak or, or not. Just I'll point people to the your report. Um, every uh, month, Doug puts together a clipping service, and much of that comes from local media, a lot of it from the register, which I really appreciate. They do a great job in helping the college get that word out. And um, you can kind of follow through. Typically, there are, are um, articles of kind of interest to to the college, and there's been several that have highlighted faculty and our services out here. And um, this, I mean, from last time, the baseball team and um, some of those um, community pieces. So really appreciate that. Yes. Thank you. On that point on baseball, uh, if you didn't catch it this past Sunday, the registered a wonderful editorial about the baseball team that's coming to Napa. Uh, along with a column by the editor of the Register, talking about the beauty of minor league baseball in a, in a small community. So if you didn't get a chance to see Sunday's Register, it's a great read. Thank you, Doug. Um, that really, you know, for for brevity on this section, that's the um, that's the uh, president's um, report, and um, we can move to ten o. Okay, item ten, approval of minutes. Are there any Changes or corrections to the minutes? The Amy? only thing. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> she raised her hand, so I called them. Uh, um, the only thing that I saw on the minutes that was missing was that Rosada was also appointed to that um, ad hoc committee for meeting management. Okay. Amy? Just um, item 11 on the independent league baseball. Uh, I just wanted to change, it's in the second sentence, the word developing into proposed. It says an overview of a developing facilities use arrangement as though it was already in process and is in process, and it was just a proposed use arrangement. Any objection or comment to those changes? Do we need a, a motion now? I still move with the corrections uh, stated. I believe you adopt the minutes by consensus now. With the changes? There being no objections, are adopted by consensus. And now we're going to the reordered item, action item for the facilities master plan. So good evening. We uh, are bringing to you tonight the result of over a year's worth of work by the Facilities Committee and a number of constituent groups here on campus, um, resulting in our Facilities Master Plan for 2017. And here to present that to you is our Director of Facilities Services, Matt Christensen. Matt, before you get started, we do have a couple of speaker cards on this. I'd like okay. to uh, call up those individuals. The first one being uh, Rick Paneagua. Hello. Um, can you all hear me? Mm -hmm. 
Um, I am barely prepared to do this. Um, I'm here to talk about the facilities master plan. I just found out about a portion of it that I'm interested in and um, wanted to talk about that. Um, and that is the uh, uh, racquetball courts. The, uh, the facilities master plan says that the racquetball courts are unused and are under consideration for repurposing. And being the uh, head of the Napa Valley Handball and Racquetball Club, who writes a couple of checks for a couple thousand every year to facilities, um, I just wanted to point out that underutilized might be um, accurate, but unused is not. Um, I just found out about this, so I, I, I really should have talked with Matt, and I should have talked with staff um, and, and dealt with this, but I thought it was important to um, at least get this on the record, and, and I can deal with all of this topic down the road. Uh, so just very briefly, I want to give you my thoughts on that. Um, two interests. One is selfish. One, I like to play racquetball. I think it's a great game. It's great exercise. It's fun. I encourage everyone to come out. We have four racquetball courts here. There are none left in the city of Napa. Uh, I don't know how many people remember La Concha. I'm old. Uh, we used to have a, a pretty good uh, health clubs in town, and they've kind of all turned into just aerobics classes. Um, and so these are the last remaining ones in the city. Um, so the selfish interest is I want to play racquetball. The, the other side is a little less selfish, I hope, and that's that uh, for the sake of the college, I think this is a good asset that should be preserved. Um, Underutilized for a couple of reasons, and I think we can kind of go down two different paths to, to address that. Um, I don't know how many people know Richard Bruns used to be the, the teacher for the class for many, many years. When he retired, uh, nobody sort of wanted the position at that point, and it just sort of stopped. And so it got taken off the schedule. And at this point, I, I forget who said it, but somebody said, well, gee, there's no interest in racquetball because nobody's signing up. Well, there's no teacher, so no class, and so it sort of has dwindled down. Um, I think we could reactivate uh, racquetball here, either through the athletic department, either by bringing in a full-time, part-time person and putting the class back on the schedule, or one of the things that I didn't do with the club, the community club that, I, that we do, we pay our own insurance, we pay rent to facilities, we play two days a week. We've got a couple dozen people that are active, have not advertised it. This has just been word of mouth. And I hesitated, um, you know, connecting up with uh, Napa Parks and Rec or anything like that to expand the use because I had assumed, now I find out incorrectly, that it was going to be reactivated in the athletic department and that we would have one, two, or three beginning, intermediate, advanced classes. And so we've just sort of kept it low-key because we didn't want to conflict with them. Um, I believe we could ramp it back up either through athletics by you know, having some staff teach it, or we could uh, do something with city parks and rec. Right now, like I said, we're you know, a couple thousand a year we've been putting in for the past six years. We could up that significantly. Um, and then there's the issue of, and this is what I would like to talk to Matt about, I, I, I wonder how efficient it would be to repurpose those rooms. That's the idea that, that I've heard. And I don't know how many of you have seen them, but they're concrete boxes. No, you know, good news and bad news. One, it would be hard to, I think, turn those into useful rooms. They're small. They're, 
they're great for hitting a little blue ball and running around and getting sweaty and trying not to get hurt. But I'm not sure about a classroom. I think that could be um, a little dull. They're also probably the lowest maintenance um, buildings on, on the campus because they're a concrete box with some lights and not always ventilated, but uh, most of the time. Um, I think that's basically it. I just kind of wanted to get this on the record. I, uh, I, I, I plan on engaging in the conversation with um, everybody involved, but I, I just caught me unawares. Like I said, I had assumed we were heading down the path to, uh, to reactivating athletically. And uh, I would support either way. I think we could do both. I think uh, we could, the college could make some money if we ran a program through uh, Parks and Recreation Department. Uh, but I also feel that it's a great exercise routine. So a lot of the sports teams, uh, staff, uh, board members, anybody could get it. A, it's a great asset. And I think it would be um, a mistake to, uh, to spend a lot of money to have dinky classrooms when we have a really unique uh, uh, health-promoting asset as is. And I think that's it, unless anybody has a question. It's easy to learn. It's fun. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Gary Ortman. Hi, my name is Gary Orton. Uh, I'm a resident of Napa. I uh, put the public a little bit at a disadvantage putting this before the person who's going to discuss this with you because we don't, I don't know exactly what he's going to say. But nevertheless, I do have a couple of comments. I thought it was going to be a little bit later. Some of these comments relate to the housing you're going to be talking about. Um, in any case, what this uh, mess facility is. Mr. Ortman, I do have a, a speaker card for you on that item also. So. Right. I'll probably address that too. But my, my question is, in developing this plan, was housing considered to be, future housing considered to be part of this plan? Uh, because um, there's other indications saying that you're going to not put it in there. So even though this plan says that it's, for new construction as well as existing construction. And I'll have more to say when it comes up to the housing and on the uh, response to the accreditation. Thank you. Matt? Thank you. I, too, thought it was going to be later, and that's why my bottle of water is so massive, so I... Hopefully I don't drop that before we get going there. Uh, uh, first of all, I appreciate the comments uh, before I started there. Uh, one of the things that I, I want to make very clear and point out, that the facilities master plan as it's being presented uh, is to address the educational and the student support needs that we have on the main part of the campus. So there is a distinction between the topic that's later, later on on the agenda and that's why it's not mentioned in this. This is primarily for the educational, instructional facilities that we have on the main part of the campus. Uh, as uh, uh, Bob mentioned in the introduction, uh, we actually started, the facilities committee started working on the new facilities master plan in the fall of 2015. Uh, see if I can hit the right button. There we go. Uh, 
So we began in the fall of 2015, and since that time there's been 18, at least 18 committee meetings plus additional work meetings with the facilities committee. Uh, there's been various uh, exposure to campus groups throughout the process, so cabinet review, faculty survey, uh, stakeholder meetings with various groups on campus uh, to identify special interest needs in those areas. Uh, Council of Presidents, constituent groups, as I said, and they've had multiple opportunities for feedback over this last 18 months, uh, but primarily in the spring of uh, 16 and then all the way up through the fall, uh, up until this very week I was still getting input. Uh, and then also planning committee, and there was a presentation at the budget committee that I did not add to that. Uh, the other thing that we incorporated in uh, heavily into this and considered through this process is the update that the educational master plan was going through in 2016 as well. So we've incorporated the information in, uh, so enrollment trends uh, and projections that were included in the educational master plan went into the facilities master plan as we identified what our future needs were. Uh, and the, the key points out of that are that we need uh, larger classrooms than we currently have. Uh, we need more larger classrooms. We need additional lab space primarily in the physical sciences. Uh, we need to upgrade classroom technology throughout the campus. And there's also an interest in enhancing the student experience on campus uh, through a variety of different means, but uh, also I, I guess the kind of the linchpin is student activity center and the things that are around the, those activities. Uh, we also uh, took input from other sources, scheduled maintenance report, facilities condition index report, student services plans, technology plan, previous M uh, FMP versions, and also stakeholder meetings. And again, what comes out of that from student services is uh, and this does tie into the student experience, uh, larger welcome center on campus, and then there are also new programs in the student services, student affairs realm related to SSSP, and there's other categorical programs that require additional uh, student interaction with counselors and, and different space associated with that. And then a topic that, and I've actually been at this podium before, and said student success centers. That's another thing that we're developing over time uh, that uh, needs further development on where those will be housed, but it's, it's a key part of the educational process for the students. Uh, technology throughout, not only in the individual buildings, I've already mentioned the classrooms, but we still have the need for some fiber and cabling in different locations on campus, uh, primarily to the southern end of campus uh, as we grow out that way a little bit with viticulture and things, there's more of a demand for that technology. And uh, we also have automated access and exterior emergency communication upgrades throughout the campus. Uh, then included in, in the plan is, is an overview of the condition of uh, infrastructure that we have. So the utilities, roof replacement, mechanical equipment, walkways, path to travel, parking, and athletic fields, which is always uh, a, a topic, and in particular in a year where we've had so much rain. It's obviously very uh, apparent that we have drainage issues and the athletic field's location is, is a problem. Uh, we've talked here at previous board meetings related to the uh, Kennedy Park Master Planning 
that's going on down the road. And we've had a lot of dialogue with the city of Napa about the potential of having some shared-use fields that would alleviate some of our athletic field problems with rain and also would have the potential of maximizing the uh, investment dollars for that. Primary recommendations of the uh, facilities master plan uh, are we've identified four new building areas. that uh, So building 200 would be classroom and student support. It is, it's a potential home for a student activity center. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I got feedback from uh, the various constituent groups and, and had a very nice conversation with a couple of the leaders of student government talking about uh, that as a potential location or, or somewhere else closer to the middle of campus. Uh, so that's all things that can be talked about later uh, for when we get into more detail. Uh, the primary reason for the 200 building is to alleviate our reliance on portable buildings that we currently have now and also to allow us to get to those larger format classrooms. It also is the stepping stone to the physical science building, which is 2200 building that would be uh, right now uh, in the plan, it would be located in the footprint where the modular buildings are adjacent to the newer biology building. The remodel plan for the 1800 building has been on the books for a very long time. In fact, when I was talking with the students in my office uh, earlier in the week, I, on the wall in the conference room is, is a schematic plan from 2006. So 11 years ago, we were talking about how we could remodel and modernize the chemistry building. But one of the biggest factors with that, uh, with that project is, is uh, with the new ADA compliance things that we would need to do if we were remodeling a science lab, we would actually lose a chemistry lab in the process, which is the opposite of what we need. We need one more or two more. So that doesn't seem to be the most beneficial thing to do. It makes a lot more sense to start out with a new building and then repurpose the existing 1800 building. So that's what the 2200 building is. 900 would be an infill over by the existing bookstore financial aid area uh, that could house a lot more of the student service type functions and student affair functions, and it would be right adjacent to the existing 1300 building. So there's a lot of symmetry there that works. And then the 3200 area of viticulture, there's a need for additional space. Uh, that, again, I think there's information coming up in just a couple minutes about. Additionally, uh, the ag lab either needs a, a very heavy remodel or, or a replacement. Modernization. So then we have, a, in the plan, identifies the uh, classroom areas that would get modernized, and in some cases, stronger re reconfiguration. Industrial technology for a long time has been on the list. Uh, and then 800, 1200, 1400, 1600, and then the 1800 that I just mentioned. Uh, building 3700, uh, I always have known it as the art center, and I know that's not the official term now, So, uh, uh, and I can't think of what it is, so that's why it says building 3700. Uh, there's a phase two project in there uh, that wasn't completed with a previous bond, so that's identified on the list. And then the physical education and I see there's an R missing. I apologize for that. On the lower level of the 600 building, uh, 
And as mentioned from with the comment related to the racquetball courts, and I'll kind of tie this. Well, let me here first go hit the child care development center. There's some facelift issues there as well as playground uh, refreshment, I'll say, because the trees have all hit maturity and they've done funny things to sidewalks and curbs and all those kinds of things and made it challenging for the play yard maintenance and for the children to learn. Uh, one of the things that I think is real important about this facilities master plan to note is, is that what we're really trying to do is identify the needs that we have and come to a consensus and agreement throughout the campus that these are the needs that we have as we move forward. It's not to say that this building is going to have 10 classrooms in it and they're going to be 1,500 square feet and there's going to be glass walls on this side and this is where the door is and this is where the elevator is. Those come later. So I, I just want to make sure, uh, in particular, where we're talking about the physical education improvements, excuse me, those are primarily on the first level. Uh, and there's, we're, we're open to suggestions, and those conversations will continue to happen uh, on, on what we need to do there. Because certainly if there's, a, if there's a program that can use an existing specialized facility and we can expand that program or develop it more or change it or whatever it takes, that is money well spent and better money than trying to make a, something out of a very specialized space. So I, I agree with those comments. Uh, from, from an instructional point of view, it was identified just because we haven't had a classroom or a class for several semesters. So. Uh, and then site and infrastructure, North Campus access and circulation. Uh, again, there, there's a, a few different ways to do this. Either there's a potential connection off of the existing roundabout that we have to increase safe path of travel for bicycles and pedestrians as well as potential roadway access. There's also uh, a, a strong interest from the city of Napa and, and from facilities people and college police facility uh, folks. We have a real interest in a possible connection from Kennedy Park out to Imola to see so that there would be essentially a route all the way around the campus. There's a lot of advantages uh, to that uh, for various reasons. Uh, but as I mentioned, pedestrian bicycle pathways, transit mall, bus stop, uh, athletic fields that I mentioned earlier, utility upgrades uh, in various locations, and then outdoor educational space opportunities on some of our other properties, such as the uh, Bumpy Camp at Mount Veter and uh, through the uh, corridor that we have, the natural corridor between the athletic fields and the main campus. So that's another potential opportunity for educational outdoor educational spaces. Uh, in the master plan, and I included this, this is kind of a visual representation of what I just went through for the recommendations. You can see that the, the blue buildings would be, uh, are the tentative locations for the new construction. The, the reddish, more red color are the buildings slated for the, the most intense uh, remodeling modernization pieces. And then th this gets at some of the other improvements for the uh, pedestrian corridors and walkways, uh, the uh, transit mall, and also tries to indicate a little bit of where the, the fiber improvements would need to be uh, to the south end of campus. 
that is what I have there. So if there's questions. Just a second, I just have to look at my notes. Anyone, anyone else have a question while she's looking for her notes? I just had a question on the soccer field. I mean, is it salvageable, or do we have, like, a ballpark number on what it would take to get it up to playing level? I mean, it floods every year, I get that, but there's, I have heard a lot of, need in the community for more fields to play on, practice on, and there's leagues all over town now. It, it It is a challenge. It's an annual challenge that we, I will say, gladly embrace uh, to get ready for the collegiate season when they start in the fall. Uh, but there's no two ways about it. It is a challenge that, that we deal with because of the, the drainage issues. Uh, some obviously some seasons are worse than others. This one will be a particular challenge. So we we were able in the last week to uh, mow all the athletic fields to get them ready so that they could have baseball practice and uh, other activities down there, except for the soccer field. Right now, we don't have a need to get on there, uh, but it is a challenge. So again, that would be one of the possible fits with Kennedy Park upgrades because they have intention. Of, uh, in their plan is an all-season soccer field that would be perfect for our academic use. Amy? Um, first of all, I want to say um, it, it's very uh, well-written, well-prepared document. I can tell you put a lot of thought into it. And I really appreciate the guiding principles at the beginning, um, the substance and the depth behind them. Um, and then so the question I had was, the red buildings that were in need of modernization. You had that rating um, where you talked about how if it's over, I think it was 50%, um, it's almost better to tear down the building and rebuild. Um, and 10 of those red buildings had a rating of over 50%. So I'm wondering, of those 10, has there been any discussion of, of actually tearing them down and rebuilding them versus renovating them? Um, I, you also had kind of related to that the cost that sometimes it was almost the same a cost to tear some of those building down um, versus renovating. Right. Uh, we have had conversations uh, looking at that, and, and I've talked to engineers and architects about that as a feasibility thing. And the comment that comes back uh, most of the time, well, in fact, every time related to our buildings is, is that, our buildings are very well built, the original buildings. Uh, so one of the things that we take into consideration when we look at that facility's uh, condition index with that information in there is, is that th those factors that they use are the same if you're on the coast and you're subjected to sea breeze as you are if you're inland or if you're in freeze-thaw environments in in further inland or up in the mountains. So... So there's a little bit of uh, taking it with a grain of salt, if you will. So one of the things in there is, is they have life expectancy uh, timelines for the concrete exterior walls. Well, the reality is, is that the 1600 building and the 1400 building, for example, 
they're going to be there in 100 years if we continue to take care of them and we take care of the roof and we do the other things. So even though they're, uh, the interior sections and the technology and there's other things in that space that, that we could, uh, that we will be uh, replacing during modernization, the exterior of the shell is really good and really sound. So to that end, even though some of those buildings might be closer to that 50%, that's where I think in the coming months, as we're continuing to uh, drill down on some of these things, that's where we look and we talk to experts and structural engineers and things and, and get that. But my personal feeling is, and I guess I should say my professional feeling, my experience here at the college is, is that we don't have any of those buildings like that that I would suggest that we tear down. The Ag Lab, on the other hand, open for, for conversation later, but that's one of the buildings that are, it's that at a higher level, but it's a wood structure. So, Would, would there be benefits in terms of um, energy efficiency as far as long-term savings because the, the newer buildings would be more energy efficient, or can you do that with the modernization? Can you make these buildings we, we can address efficient? the things that we need to do, but for the most part they're very energy efficient because of the thick concrete walls. So once you get them to a temperature, they – they hold it pretty well. So uh, most of those buildings already have modernized uh, air handlers on the roof and things. So there would be things that we'd be doing with uh, rooftop materials if they needed a new roof, so we'd be meeting the, the current energy efficiency standards related to that. Yeah. I have one last one, unless somebody else yeah, wants to go. Yeah, give somebody else. Michael? Yeah, so speaking of energy, and thank you, Matthew, for your presentation. The, the solar field, you touched on that just briefly, 10-year life. Uh, what do you see as technology advanced with a similar footprint would put us over two-thirds or full, 100%? Uh, uh, we're having a lot of conversations about that right now. I think that uh, the most recent conversations I've had with solar folks is we'd see uh, between 20 and 30% increase in efficiency. So that's if we kept to the same footprint and did new panels, that's kind of the increase that we'd be looking at. We're also, uh, Bob and I have started conversations with a couple of folks related to options for covering areas of the parking lot with solar panels. Uh, there, there are a lot of different financial scenarios related to that. Uh, some people say that that's a great way to go is to, you know, have outside sources pay for it. They get some of the tax benefit. We ultimately are showing that we're closer to neutral on our electric bill. Uh, but there's a lot of discussion that needs to go into that, but we'll continue to have those conversations as we move forward. Thank you. And one more. I noted that you you had noted um, the increase in square footage, but the fact that the maintenance staff had not been increased, is that something that's being addressed or would need to be addressed separately? We're always hoping to address it. We have conversations about it. As we move forward, it will continue to be an issue that I will be uh, uh, trying, to, trying to solve that problem as we move forward, as will the, my colleagues around the room. Uh, it doesn't. It doesn't really fit in here. I almost didn't include that in there uh, at all. But it's a little piece of the total cost ownership that we have to be aware of as we move forward. So yes. One more, Amy. I have another. I also had that same question, and actually, especially with the the 
plan for some new buildings. So that was a question. I think accreditation brought that up as well as a concern as far as long-term maintenance. But my, the VWT um, resolution that's on the agenda later to raise money for a new um, building, I'm wondering where is that on this map? Is that the 3200 building that we're talking about tearing down and then rebuilding, or is that the C or A, the new buildings that are on this map? Uh, it's a little bit of both, I guess is the way to say it. So it's a, it's a combination of those things. So in, in the presentation that I think is coming later is talking about uh, building a new, uh, a new classroom space. That is the larger of those two buildings that are located down on that south end of campus. The smaller of them is the Ag Lab. So in the facilities master plan, we've identified that as uh, tear down and build something new there. Seems to, at least in our perspective, the facilities committee thought that was a good way to go. I believe in their plan they talk about potentially renovation as, a, as an option as well. So the new building is the C or the A? Well, yeah, I apologize. I don't have the. Let's see if I can, if I can get back there. Or the new classroom you called it. Yes, that that's what it is. So it's it's essentially C. C. Yes. Thank you. Kyle, did you have a question? Are we? Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Um, do we have a uh, motion to approve? So move. Second. Further discussion? None. Carol Lee, call the question. I can I can record your vote, Rosa. That's okay. I, I just voted. It's a yes. <clears throat> and Michael? Michael? Hi. Did you vote? No, it, it hasn't pumped up. Oh. It popped up. I just refreshed and everything. Okay. Well, I've entered your yes vote, and it's a unanimous approval. Yes. Thank you. Okay, we're on to number 11, information discussion items, 11.1, the foundation update on viticulture and winery technology program. Dr. Kraft? Yeah, thank you. Um, it, it's really a pleasure to, to bring this um, item tonight, and, um, and um, we've got quite a crowd here of folks who are um, enthusiastically uh, in the audience, it's good to see all of you. By the way, it's great to, great to have an, an audience. Sometimes it's uh, just us, and so this is a good thing. Um, I would like to introduce the, some of the folks that have been on the ad hoc committee and also involved in this, um, um, and then and then kind of set it up for you. Gerardo Martin is president of Napa Valley um, College Foundation. He'll be speaking to you. Bill Hardy is past president and also on that committee. Paul Gospodardic, Molly Hodgkins, I think, is here as well. Um, David Hanewalt is the architect involved, um, Dean Diana Jabodi, and um, maybe I've missed some other folks. I hope not. But I, let me start with just saying I really would like to welcome um, Gerardo to the, to the podium and kind of kick it off. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Kraft, President Rios, and the rest of the board. It's, it's great to be here. Uh, tonight we'll be presenting a project uh, that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, Napa Valley has long been considered a world-class wine region, and I think it's about time that we have the VWT program here at Napa Valley College that matches that so that the workforce can go out and have world-class, that we could have a world-class workforce as well. Um, the idea started a, a couple of years ago, 
and the Napa Valley Napa Valley College Foundation has been supporting it financially uh, with the with the various planning stages, and uh, you'll see today what the the drawings came out. Um, so the goal for tonight is to kind of give you an overview of the proposed workspaces and buildings, assist you in understanding the capital campaign, uh, enlist your enthusiasm and support for the project, including an, an endorsement, uh, inform the students, faculty, staff, along with the broader community of the of the Napa Valley College Wine Education Center. And uh, now for more insight into uh, how this all came about, I'd like to introduce uh, Bill Hardy, which uh, with uh, Ira Schwartz has been spearheading this for the foundation. So uh, without any further ado, Bill Hardy. Yeah, thank you, Mr. Chairman, uh, members of the board, others. Uh, it's a privilege to be back here. Uh, I've uh, bored you on other occasions, and I'm going to get a chance to do it again, whether you are ready for it or not. So uh, uh, a little bit of history about this. When I was president of the foundation a couple of years ago, we were searching for ways in which we could enhance the, uh, the education experience here in addition to awarding two or $300,000 worth of scholarships every year. And one of the things we thought about that was, uh, seemed like a pretty obvious choice would be to enhance the viticulture program since, A, it is already a world-class viticulture program, and, B, Napa Valley is Napa Valley. If you talk to someone in Dijon or Maltochino, they will know where Napa Valley is. If you ask them about Walnut Creek, they'll, you know, what? And uh, it, Walnut Creek's a perfectly wonderful place, but, uh, you know, it ain't Napa Valley. The, uh, so uh, it seems like th this is a great way for us to, to, make a, to have a footprint that's, that's uh, A, uh, very good technically, and B, very well known. So it's to, it's to have a world-class wine program that's known by the world. The, uh, it started, we got some ideas from faculty and from other people who are interested, and it's wonderful faculty here. And uh, about two years ago, this all got started, and, and uh, we sort of had the idea that we should get a group of people together who knew what they were talking about. Uh, and uh, so we got some people from the wine industry together, and, uh, and people from education together, and uh, sat down and said, all right, what do we need to do to, to make this better? And, and, and fortunately, at that moment, or that moment in time, uh, which was almost two years ago, uh, Paul Gosbedarzik arrived on the scene as, the, as a, a professor here. And uh, if, you, if any of you have had the privilege of listening to him speak, which you will tonight, uh, or, or being in one of his classes, he's, he's, a, he's a wonderful uh, presenter of... Uh, knowledge and a good teacher. So uh, uh, it was a good way for us to sort of take a fresh look at things. We got a group of people together. We talked about ideas. We talked about branding, the, the sort of semi-separate branding for this uh, wine center, wine education center, a little bit like, you know, uh, on, a, on a different scale, what UC Davis has with the, the Robert Mondavi Wine Institute and, and other places. Uh, I think uh, Hancock has their own, has a name for their own uh, their own wine, wine group. Uh, it was decided that what was needed was more classroom space, particularly large classroom space, because there are large classes that don't have enough space. And so uh, uh, we thought that we needed a, a space that would be advantageous for sensory wine uh, programs that had the proper lighting, the proper everything that you need for, for that purpose. And it also was a large, I, I heard Matt just talking about 
large uh, classroom spaces, which is something that the college has needed, I guess, for a while. Well, one of the things that you'll hear from the architect is about a space that's a uh, 100-seat 100 100 classroom, which would be very useful not only for the viticulture program, but perhaps for other disciplines as well. The, uh, so uh, we hired an architect, uh, uh, Mr. Hannawalt, who is here, and uh, you'll have a chance to hear from him, and he'll do the, the little show. And uh, you'll get a chance to see what what we've thought about, and at least initially, um, when it came to assessing the strengths and and and, uh, and the opportunities involved in in the wine program. Uh, there, you know, we turned to the faculty, and there's no nobody any better at it than Paul Gosbedarzik, and he's here to talk. And uh, I won't anymore. Thank you. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Paul Gospodarzik. It's a pleasure to be leading the VWT program with Molly Hodgins and Greg Seward. We're the stewards of this program for right now. Uh, what I love most about is the passion. I think you've seen this passion. I think you've seen this passion manifest itself when there are some real fears about the future of the program a couple of years. Um, it's fun to kind of be moving past that. Right now, this passion is manifesting itself in a way that we're coming together. We're forming the team. We've got the viticulturist on board. We've got a great group of students that are coming together that are looking at how do we grow this program and how do we make it better. I joke that my job is barely even teaching because most of them show up having done the readings and have questions, and I'm just kind of keeping everything together on a daily basis. But it's easy to come to work because they're dedicated, passionate people. We have people. This is that part in Wizard of Oz. That, uh... <laughs> so it sounds like we have a little tech, tech glitch, but we'll. We'll, we'll handle that. Mm hmm. That's right. There go. I left it at home. Sorry. Didn't Adele do something really similar to this at, at the. Uh, didn't she start some kind of a song over again? You know? You're on, Paul. I can talk for a long time with a couple words, but it's hard to show you a building from an architect's perspective without a couple pictures filling in the gaps. I love coming to work because it's all about the passion. We have passionate students like Oscar. Oscar works full-time like many of our students in the wine industry and has taken classes here since I first started. Uh, Oscar is a father of one little baby, and he's also a first-generation college student that really helps me bridge the gap with our Spanish-speaking students. We have students like Deborah. Uh, Deborah is retraining in her career, but she's taking uh, advantage of a new initiative that Molly and I have launched with intensive days. So she shows up at 8 a.m. in the morning on Tuesdays, and she leaves at 10 p.m. at night. And in that time frame, she takes three classes from us throughout the whole day. We have students like Mato. Mato's in New York at a baptism. He couldn't be here, but he said, we'll FaceTime in if you need that for this program, if you need to talk about this. He's a retired gentleman, and he started taking classes here because he's a home winemaker, but he met this wonderful group of people, and now he can't stay away. We actually had to start a whole group of volunteers just for people that have taken all of our classes. We've had to say, no, you can't enroll again. You cannot be a student here again. They partake in our volunteer program just to stay with some of these wonderful students and stay part of the atmosphere. We've got Jack and Simon. Jack is on the ladder. He's from South Africa, and Simon, he met uh, Simon in Texas, and they came out here to get their education. When they finish here, they're going to do some harvest abroad, but then they're going to go back to Texas and be working on that industry and making some world-class wines there. 
This is Tina. Tina, like many of our students, already has a degree. She's an engineer, a biomedical engineer. But now she's coming to us to work with the wine industry because she and her fiancé are reviving an old winery up on Spring Mountain. This is Leo. Uh, Leo takes classes here in the spring, sometimes, between vintages when he's traveling abroad, and he's trying to discern what's going to be right for his future. And like many of our students, like Michael that we have here today, uh, Begoon, they're considering UC Davis transferring out, which is just a really powerful combination to get your practical skill set from us right here and go to UC Davis and get your two, uh, your four-year degree or your master's degree. We've got Zhang. Zhang is one of many international students that we bring into the program. We have students from Turkey, from China, from Japan, from Korea, and Zhang is here uh, every day. He moved here to be part of this program and to be uh, part of what we're trying to accomplish here. This is the building. This is how it all started. I'm thinking that this is somewhere around 1984 when the first program first started. And you can see the Ag Lab. You see, at one point, this group and this college devoted a small shed on the south side of campus to getting a viticulture and knowledge program. <laughs> they got a faculty member. They got a... Um, a building put together, and what these students, when they were just given free reign, they turned this into a vineyard. They brought in a truck and trailer so that they could make wine right there by premises. That's what happened. Eventually, this board, along with the community and the Trefethans, they invested in, a, invested in a new classroom. And once students had access to this, they turned VWT into the largest technical winemaking program in the United States. We're one of the largest in the world. Ultimately, we got the teaching winery, the Napa Valley Vintners teaching winery with the support of this board. And as soon as students had access to this, they started making world-class wine. They've made double gold Pinot Noir. They've made gold medal Sauvignon Blanc. And they just released a Cabernet that Robert Parker, not this one, from the wine enthusiast, <laughs> called one of the best value reds of Napa Valley and recommend putting down a couple cases for 15 to 20 years to see how it ages. Um, would you stand up if you've taken a VWT class? These students are a good investment. They're a good investment. And even small investments in them, even a small rundown shed on the south side of campus, look what they've turned it into. Largest technical winemaking program in the United States. And this brings us to the Ag Lab. Look at those chairs on that picture. Think about the number of students that have sat in this classroom. Think about the number of winemakers that got their start. We've averaged between 450 and 500 students. That's individual count. That's not a multiple count through this program for the last 10 years. There's around 500 wineries in Napa. That means we've worked with almost all of them. And this building's great, but I tell you what, it smells a little bit like your grandmother's basement. It's really hard to do some critical sensory evaluation work in a room that smells a little musty. And this is why we're asking for support to go and get some dedicated space, some dedicated sensory labs to really get state-of-the-art facilities. I've got ideas for how we're going to use this. I want to partner up with the trade organizations. I want to offer sommelier testing right here. Um, I want to work with the Napa Valley Vintners and really make this the center of wine education for Napa Valley and for Northern California. That's just my vision. I who knows what's going to happen when they get involved? Because I think they're going to make it bigger. I think they're going to make it better. And most importantly, that I think that they're a great investment. Uh, it's my pleasure to introduce to you David Hanawalt, who's been working with us for uh, a year and a half on this project and helping us get our ideas together in a physical structure.
Thank you, Paul. I'm Dave Hanwald. I'm an architect with uh, Lale Design Group in St. Helena. And uh, Bill Hardy from the foundation uh, asked us to get involved with uh, taking a look at a program needs for uh, facilities for the VWT, and then also to come up with a preliminary design. And uh, <clears throat> if I could just uh, walk you through with my pet toy here, uh, I have a, a little laser pointer. Uh, this area up here where there's uh, what's called the Olive, Olive Grove, uh, this is where we're proposing a new uh, sensory classroom. And then the uh, Trefethen building uh, would be renovated uh, to include more uh, laboratory space. It currently uh, houses about 50, a classroom for about 50 students, but it, in a renovated way, it could much more effectively work as a laboratory. Uh, then there is a series of outdoor spaces uh, which can work as outdoor classrooms. These are very social spaces and can be redesigned in uh, accessible ways and comfortable ways for outdoor activities. Uh, also down here, the Ag Lab, uh, which uh, really is a, a lovely building in terms of its character. Uh, unfortunately, uh, structurally, um, in terms of energy, insulation, handicap accessibilities, uh, and a whole number of uh, items really needs to be taken and redone. Then up here we have the storage building, cellaring, and the winery, and of course, over here, the vineyards. So let's see. So here's a model showing the whole uh, wine education center region where we have the uh, sensory classroom. This building is imagined to collect rainwater. Uh, it would be imagined to have uh, natural daylighting, uh, natural ventilation, uh, uh, energy efficient, uh, perhaps uh, uh, more solar panels on the roof. And then the Trefethen building as laboratory, these as the outdoor spaces, and the ag lab, and then also an outdoor events type space. And with the trees, of course, it's a shaded and beautiful uh, kind of area in, in any of the seasons, four seasons. So this is the site of the Olive Grove, and you can see this, this structure would be proposed for that. And uh, we have a pathway that this essentially would work as a, a gateway to the Wine Education Center. Uh, passing through there, there would be a, a social interior space uh, with facilities, and then the classroom entrance. Uh, also, the building, we're imagining it as a uh, LEED certified, uh, to some degree, all uh, Energy Star. Uh, I do... Uh, Net zero energy buildings and uh, very committed to highly efficient buildings and healthy buildings. So the classroom, uh, the main space uh, would would accommodate a hundred people, a uh, hundred students, and then also would be dividable into a fifty and a fifty side by side. Uh, there's a uh, partition system called Skyfold, which is not your uh, old uh, general 
general purpose room type of partition systems. These are used in law firms, and Stanford has a bunch of them. Uh, they come down, they're acoustically separating, um, very clean. Then the uh, there are uh, desks here shown along here, and then a, a prep room in the back for uh, uh, preparing uh, wine tastings and uh, washing glasses and getting all set up. And then uh, taking a look at the existing Trefethen building, um, thinking about some of the exteriors, bringing the whole campus, kind, that section of campus into a kind of cohesive aesthetic. Uh, this building maybe on the exterior could use a little bit of work. Uh, and then this one would be the one that we would keep the same footprint, keep the same envelope, but uh, really uh, re rebuild. So here it's shown as a rebuilt type of structure. And then the outdoor seating areas uh, and event space down to the lower right-hand side there. So the tasting room, uh, as the old ag lab evolving into a tasting room, this would also be a public space where the public can come in and taste these award-winning wines. Uh, it also can function as a classroom for up to 25. So uh, it's a, it's a multi-purpose type of facility there. And then the outdoor spaces, uh, comfortable seating, movable, uh, students can gather, and uh, it actually already functions in that way, but it can be uh, significantly enhanced and also can be made handicap accessible. So that's the overview. Uh, it's a very quick overview, and the design of the buildings is at a preliminary level, so there's quite a bit more elegance and detail to work into them. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you, David. I, mean, I guess now it's an opportune time to, you know, either field questions or, you know, all, all, we have all these experts here who could address them. And, and later in the agenda, as we talked about earlier, there's a, um, an area under action that is a resolution in support of this activity that they're, um, we're bringing to you for your consideration as well. And um, that really that resolution, the piece, I'm not going to read it all, but the, the piece that's the most important is your endorsement and, and really um, resolve to be enthusiastic um, about supporting the idea of the, the Napa Valley College Foundation running a capital campaign specifically for this project um, starting in spring, which is a, you know, kind of a soft planning um, um, time right now in 17 through the academic year of beginning, the academic year of 1718. And um, it would be a multi-year campaign, and certainly a, most of those details are to be worked out um, as the feasibility gets worked out. I have just kind of a general question about if this goes forward as, as um, it's being planned. Maybe, Paul, this is for you. Uh, current operations, how will they be affected, or how are you going to um, deal with you know, remodeling, construction, and everything going on down there? We don't have enough space as is right now. So we're operating out of um, 
I mean, I have to go in and count the chairs in the ag lab to make sure that it will hold all the students that are enrolled in the classes. We're also having to start scheduling classes in other part of the campus in classrooms that really aren't conducive to sensory analysis work. So we're, we're not preparing to be scrunched. We're full-on scrunched and trying to find out how we're going to expand and keep on accommodating this program growth. And I think part of the question goes to secondary effects. So um, it, I think... I think what I'm hearing you say is this: the staging of what happens first um, would you obviously wouldn't do with the whole project at one time. So it will be phased so you can accommodate. We're probably looking at multiple phases going through to actually get every piece of this because you're absolutely correct. It would be very hard to be out of a classroom right now. And so we've had some conversations with Matt about that in some meetings just to figure out how do we do this strategically so that we can still offer our full range of courses without having significant impact. So, yes, we are looking at phasing it in. I just wondered if, there, if you have an estimate for the total cost, and, and is are you expecting that the total cost would be covered by this capital campaign? Uh, no. We don't have an, a specific estimate of the of the total cost because we haven't done uh, fully full design drawings and uh, we haven't done a, a the estimate. You know, the contractors have to come in and estimate what what the cost would be. We thought of this as a preliminary step because you're the most. This group is the most important uh, entity for uh, for the college, and it's the most important one for uh, us to get the imprimatur from you to uh, to proceed on it. But uh, it's going to be quite a bit of money. You know, it's going to be a, a few million dollars. Uh, and uh, it could easily be, you know, for the for the right contribution, it could be the, you know, the Jennifer Baker a Wine Education Center, you know. and <laughs> But uh, but it's, uh, no, it, it's going to be, it's going to cost some money and, and it's going to be, uh, and we're going to, we're going to attempt to raise it all privately. Um. I guess what's important for me, and this is why I moved the facilities master plan up, is that that any decisions come out of our own internal planning processes and that there's not a parallel planning outside process going on. Um, and so I, I heard from Matt that we needed the new ag lab. I heard that. I heard that we needed a new classroom um, for the VWT program and, in general, bigger classrooms. But I heard 50 students. And so I'm just wondering about the classroom for 100 um, do we need a classroom for 100 students? Are there that many students in our VWT program? Well, I'll let Paul answer that question, I think. probably. So the vision is for two classrooms that are connected with a wall that can actually raise up, so we've got opportunity and flexibility for the future. So having a 100-person capacity classroom is definitely part of our goal of working with industry and bringing in trade organizations to start assessing and certifying and accrediting some of the great work that our students are doing, which we really need a larger-scale classroom for that. Uh, so I will tell you we have numerous classes in our um, each semester that have over 50 students and will settle right around 50 students. But we've got flexibility for the future. I guess that that's the only piece that I just have some hang-ups about. Just from the standpoint that we have the Upper Valley campus, it's underutilized. Um, so I get the need for larger classroom spaces for our students. But I guess what I'm wondering about is when it comes to creating these spaces for other people, I guess I'm just wondering, again, thinking about the Upper Valley campus and that it's underutilized and these buildings still have to be maintained. So I guess that's the piece, the only piece that's kind of hanging me up a little bit. Sure, I, it, understandably so. 
Uh, I would add a lot of our classes are scheduled in the evening. So they start at 7 p.m. and they run until 10 o'clock p.m. Uh, Molly has had students that actually have to leave class early so that they can go pick in the middle of the night. And I'm starting at 7 o'clock so that once my students finish their 12, 13, 14-hour shift, they can come here and they can still get through classes. And so being right here and the main campus is very helpful because a lot of them are not living in St. Helena. A lot of them are going to be heading south and they have a long commute to actually get home after the class. Yes, as a student, uh, I would have to agree, I'm uh, standing room only in many of the classes, particularly the Ag Lab and even the Trefethen classroom. In the winery, uh, well, we, there's a picture there of standing on a stepladder. I've seen pe students, in, in order to hear Greg and, and Paul step a little on a pallet or peer this way or lined up so they catch one, two, or three nuggets of what's being taught. It, it's it's cramped, and I fully, uh, fully support it, the uh, addition. Sarah? Knowing that um, farm to bottle is every step of the way is very important, what would be your first priority? I mean, where would you start? Oh. Classroom space is the first priority. Uh, take care of our existing programs that we're running. Take care of our existing students and make sure that they're getting the, the top-notch education and the facilities that uh, are aligned with what we're doing. So the classrooms is definitely the primary goal. In the last year and a half that we've been talking about this project, we've brainstormed about countless different ways that we could grow this program and different labs that we could develop. But at the end of the day, our whole reason of being here is to teach and to provide educational opportunities. So we're really focusing on those classrooms and the other pieces fall in over time. So that would also be on hands experience or practice? I'm sorry? In the winemaking, they would be doing that as well while in, they're in the classroom, learning the process and so on and so forth. Yeah, and that's the beauty of what we're doing, because we're providing classroom combined with practical experience out in the vineyard, practical experience in the winery, uh, and then hopefully also providing superior practical experience in the uh, art, if you will, of sales and hospitality. Yeah, okay. Kyle. I'm curious if... Once this facility is built, I'm more interested in um, the feedback that you've gotten from UC Davis, San Luis Obispo, some of the big universities. Has that dialogue, have you guys heard much? If we have this, it's going to help with some of our courses transferring over and just not getting too too specific. but We don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. So we're, though. We're looking at those options from separate fronts. So we're currently in the process of reviewing our curriculum and updating our curriculum. And we've had a couple meetings with UC Davis to see what specifically are they looking for so that we can align our program and we can strategically update curriculum so that it does have that possibility to help transfer right now. Um, or transfer, I'm sorry, in the future. And... Uh, I'm not going to say that we've held this close, but we've been really excited to tell you about it before we go out and talk to uh, potential donors or uh, industry partners. Marianne? I just want to say I fully support it, and Bill, let us know what we can do to uh, help fundraise. One more. I just wanted to answer, if, I'm, if I may, uh, what, Mr. Iverson's question. Uh, 
a little bit more precisely, we, we did go over to UC Davis and meet with their uh, faculty when we were in the early planning stages of this. And uh, one of the things that struck me was how enthusiastic they are about partnering with us, especially providing scholarships to students who are transferring from here to go to their four-year program. They have money that goes begging, you know, that they can't give away, for, uh, particularly for Hispanic-origin uh, students. And uh, uh, so, you know, when I, we do these scholarship programs, we, we, we sort of we hear people graduating from our viticulture uh, program, I sort of pull them aside and say, hey, do you know there's money at UC Davis? And so uh, UC Davis is interested not only in that, in, in giving scholarships to students from here, but also in partnering with us and uh, pretty enthusiastic about it. Amy, one more. Yes. Um, before I weigh in, I, for me it's really important to know, and I hate to put him on the spot, what um, Matt thinks about this as the director of our facilities. I just would like to get his input. Well, I support it wholeheartedly, and I will say through this planning process, uh, folks have come to the facilities committee to talk about it from the very beginning. Bill came to the committee oh, months and months ago and, and, and sort of threw it out there as, you know, hey, we're starting this process. And uh, that's always been an area that's targeted for improvement, as I mentioned, the Ag Lab in that, in that process. Uh, and I've certainly had a lot of conversations with Paul about phasing and how can we do this so that we're never down a classroom and we're always gaining and at least maintaining. So I, I see it has great potential. Kelsey. Um, so I guess my question would be, you say most of the classes are in the evening, so after the, we, we get these new classrooms, is it because also the, the money earned for it, you say, is hopefully all private, is the space going to be made available? Are those classrooms, would it be made available to other programs on the campus when the viticulture classes are not actually using those classrooms would be my question. I believe anything is possible at this point. So we're focusing on how we take care of our students and how we take care of, of our existing students and how we increase credit hours and degree completions. But we're operational all day long, Tuesday and Thursday, and we're operational every night of the week, which leaves a lot of availability in the space. Okay, thank you. Dr. Kraft? Well, just winding it up, thanks very much. I mean, it's, it's really wonderful to see, uh, I think, the foundation come together. Um, it takes a lot of time. I've been to those meetings, as you know, and... Um, um, hours and hours, a lot of money already invested and in, in energy, and I so appreciate it. I think um, the reach out here is exceptional, and um, I am uh, significantly optimistic that we will pass this resolution um, later later this afternoon endorsing it. And um, you, you don't have to wait around for that unless you just really have, don't have anything to do. Um, uh, um, but I would uh, I would just commend you and uh, and thank you on on behalf of the college. Doctor Kraft, eleven point two. Okay, let me get back to my notes so we can.
just one moment here. Yes. I'll wait. Um, we just wait a second. You want to do a five-minute anything or no? No. How's everybody feeling? Need a break? Okay, let's take a five-minute break. Okay. Thank you. Thank you.